Here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. You know, then there's just sort of tumbleweeds. <laughs> Sir, you mind if I ask you what went on here? There was a TV show last Sunday last. The circus left the town. Welcome back. Good to be here, man. Now, I want to fully disclose this, because why not? I like keeping it 100. Yeah, man. Let's be real about this. For the listeners. Yeah. This is the second time we've had to record this session. I don't know what happened. Like, I organized my little desktop screen on... Well, it's not a desktop. It's like, you know, the surface of my MacBook. And I did an update on the program I used to record, and it deleted... Like the last couple of sessions I recorded. i tell you what happened. What? That recording was so hot. It was a hot ass recording. It was. Did it just, it just burned, it burned brightly. Yeah. And then it just went up in flames, baby. It, it was, it was too much for the public to handle. So we got to come back. We got to tone it down a little bit. Maybe we got to make it a little less sexy. Yeah. I think it, that episode would have shot us to the top of the Apple podcast charts. I believe you are correct. It would have made, uh, all the listeners listening to this finally leave a fucking Apple, uh, review. And many people probably would have came. Yeah. Like you mean busted one. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 I think but, at about the 17 minute mark. Yeah. In the original, that's when it happens. That's when I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I came, um, you came multiple times. Did we do a shorty on it? I was impressed. There was a th- there's a thing, Barcroft TV, I think it's like an overseas show, I think in England. But there was one about a guy who always is coming. Like he's got some condition where he's always busting. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not convinced that it's totally real because he's talking about going to funerals, his father's funeral. When you're on your knees at your father's funeral at his casket and you're saying goodbye to him, and then you have nine orgasms right there while your whole family is standing behind you. This makes you never want to have another orgasm as long as you live. But you know what? You just keep on coming. <laughs> and coming. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> but I, I want to think it's real. I mean, do I, though? It, what a horrible... That's a horrible existence. It like, really would be. You know, people might first hear that and be like, yeah, coming feels good. But like, oh. have you ever masturbated too much? And then the last time it's like, yeah, that wasn't pleasant at all. <laughs> that was actually kind of painful. I think I may have done some irreparable damage yeah. to my, my penis skin with it's, that one. <laughs> it's been a while, but since I've masturbated too much. I don't think I've done that since probably a whole week probably like late teens yeah early like early 20s. 20s yeah like there were some marathons there where it was like you need to stop 
You seriously, you need to take a break. You're asking yourself hard questions like, do I need to go talk to someone? No, wait, I'm in my early 20s. I can't afford anything but the beer that I'm going to be buying and the weed I'm going to be buying. Right. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. After my beer and weed money, I ain't got nothing else. (laughs) That's true. God, I remember like scraping up couches just to get tall boys and shit. I remember seeing a, there was some show that used to come on. Maybe it was on TLC or something. It was about weird, it was like weird sex stuff. It was, they used to come on. Not real sex? No, not real sex. Uh, This was like a, like a TLC, the learning channel sort of, kind of like uh. Weird addictions or strange oh, addictions kind of thing. Yes, I know what you're you know talking, what talking about? about. Yes. They had one with a lady who, the first time she gave birth, she had an, she had like the most intense orgasm. I've heard that could happen. With her first kid. Like she did one of those natural in a pool sort of things. Um, and all I could think was, man, way to put the pressure on the, like, the next kid. <laughs> like... <laughs> How do you live up to that? If you don't. <laughs> that poor kid would probably get because they had more than one kid. And she did say that it didn't happen the second time. Oh, so and all that I kid's was, got it. She probably brings that up whenever the oh, kid. Oh, constantly. You know, whenever the kid. Why can't uh, you be more like your brother? <laughs> meanwhile, her brother's like, I wish you'd stop bringing that up. That I made you come when I came out. Your brother brought me to the throes of ecstasy when he came into this world. You brought me nothing but grief. Your brother knows where the clitoris is. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> Some people are too honest, right? There can't be oh, too much honesty. Yeah, I don't even know what makes a person decide that they want to share that with the rest of the world. And not necessarily like, I'm not saying be di- dishonest. I think it's okay to just not say things. Yeah, yeah. Listeners of this show might be like, I don't think you have that ability, Bob. But... <laughs> there is honor in silence. But yes, this is the second time we're recording this. I appreciate your patience in this. But I know there's a lot going on in your life, so I appreciate you doing this. Sure thing, man. I think we went like an hour and a half our first time because it was so fresh. Let's push for two this time. (laughs) I was going to say, maybe we can get a a nice tight hour out of it. Yeah, I think we can do that. But it's too bad we lost the original recording because it was so fresh. Because this documentary was fun to talk about. It really was. And, but as of this recording, we watched it like last month, (laughs) but that's okay. But what we're talking about is the documentary. It's on Hulu called too funny to fail the life and death of the Dana Carvey show by Josh Greenbaum. Did you watch this when it uh, first aired the Dana Carvey show? No, I didn't even know it existed until this documentary dropped. I appreciate you uh, answering that question. For the second time, as though it was the first time you heard it. <laughs> but I did watch this, and it was something I was fascinated with at the time. I couldn't remember every second of it, but there were definitely a few things that stood out. I was really into sketch comedy at the time, and the 90s were, like, huge on sketch comedy. This was a point where I was I was watching a lot of SNL. I was watching, like, late-night talk shows, like Conan, the early Conan, was a big was really big for me in terms of shaping what I think is funny. You know, masturbating bears and robotic dildos and shit like that. And so Dana Carvey came on network TV on ABC. And it was, I remember watching it being like, this is unlike anything (laughs) I've seen, especially in this time slot. 
and uh, SNL could get pretty blue, but I felt like this show, to a certain extent, almost went a little further than a lot of what SNL did. Yeah, there was some stuff in there that probably SNL would would do now, but back then, yeah. like, no. <laughs> I haven't watched SNL in um, a long time. Probably not. Bill Hader's in this movie being interviewed because he was a big fan when he was a kid, and. Him, about when he left, is probably about when I stopped watching us. Bill Hader's the best. You can never have too much Bill Hader. He's good. He's just so great. You know he wrote on South Park for years? No, I didn't know that. The dude got around. I need to watch that season two of Barry. Have you seen Barry? I've seen season one. Haven't yeah. seen season two yet. I like season one. I just haven't gotten to two yet. Yeah. So. He's great. Yeah, like, he, he's, I love that guy. And it's not, I mean, he's great at what he does. He also just seems like a, like a swell guy to hang out with. Like, mm-hmm. seems pretty genuine. I mean, based on what he's talking about here and his appreciation for this weird shit, I, I think I, I, I could see he and I having a lot to talk about. I think about he and I, we, if we were in high school together, I think we would have run together. I bet I we, we would have. I bet we would have 69 under the bleachers. <laughs> if, uh, I mean, know. haters are pretty good looking dudes. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. I would have experimented. But only he would have had to do the Alan Alda. Yeah, that or, gets me going. Or the Stefan. Or the Vincent Price. Preferably the Vincent Price or the Alan Alda. Those are the two that really get my motor going. Oh yeah. <laughs> we open up on uh, David Dana Carvey, pretending to be a prospector who rolled into town and wondering like, what's happened here? What show happened here? You know Dana Carvey. I was such a huge fan of his back then. That era where it was like. Phil Hartman, Chris Rock, Dana Carvey, three of my favorite all-time SNL dudes right yeah. there. Mike Myers. Yes. Uh, Chris Farley. Oh, yeah. Of like, course. Yeah. Adam Sandler. Yeah. I kind of fell off of Sandler for a long time, and then I came back to him because he did that Netflix special a few years ago. Um, I was shocked at how entertained by it. I, I remember you telling me that a while back. I've never been a huge Adam Sandler fan. Even when he was on SNL, he wasn't one of my guys on SNL I started to enjoy his movies like the early movies more like that was the stuff that I really got into as far as Adam Sandler but I never really paid much attention to him when he was on SNL his comedies are all like hit and miss for me but there is something about him as a person that I like yeah quite a bit but what about the uh the superstar of SNL uh Rob Schneider making copies right <laughs> oh man and uh the anti-vaxxer rob schneider is he an anti-vaxxer oh yeah i, I try to that. i try to keep up with who our anti-vaxxer celebrities are yeah rob schneider that that was another one that didn't really do anything for me i feel like john lovitz is incredibly underrated yeah john lovitz is good yeah we have competition in a documentary podcast that started after we took our hiatus and one of the hosts of it is married to a prominent anti-vaxxer. So I'm going to take those motherfuckers down. Cheryl Hines. Do you know Cheryl Hines? Mm. She plays Larry David's wife on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's her. She's married to, I think, a Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who apparently is an anti-vaxxer. That doesn't matter. He's a Kennedy. He'll probably be dead in the next couple of years anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'll ski into a tree. Or probably, a or there'll be a plane or something that'll go down. Have you, uh, Robert, have you considered the bullet vaccine? <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Dana Carvey show. That show, remember? Uh, Dana describes himself as a quintessential baby boomer. 
we see pictures of a young Dana Carvey with a bowl cut. And he talks about how when he was coming up, uh, Robin Williams made him so self-conscious because he seemed to start off real getting real traction. But then Robin Williams showed up and he was like, oh, I suck. Didn't he like open for him? Yeah, I think he was so. open. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Robin Williams. Yeah, man. He had a rep for kind of grabbing other people's jokes, too. He kind of had that rep over the years, but. I could see Robin Williams' style just kind of sponging shit, you know? Yeah, and I don't even think... I would like to think that it wasn't even intentional. Like, he's just... His personality strikes me as being one of those people where he's just... He's always... Was always on. And always just, like, soaking up whatever was around him. More than likely, whatever he took from someone else, he probably made it better. Like... (laughs) It kind of makes sense uh, seeing when Robin Williams in his prime and in his uh, performative nature... It makes sense, and I guess now that I'm older and can kind of notice these things a little better, it makes sense that he was so fucking depressed. Yeah. Because that's definitely a counterbalance to that. There's something about, like, a personality type, and I include myself in this, that always is trying to, like, goof and kind of put themselves... Like, there is a counterbalance to that that can be real heavy. And uh, I'm going to start crying. Anyway. Hey, man. Hey. It's going to be okay. We see. Do you want to bring it in? Bring it in? You want to bring it in? How about a fist bump right. for now? Because we got to keep that tight uh, hour. <laughs> That's true. We do. <laughs> Real tight. Real tight. So uh, we look at uh, Dana's SNL audition uh, where he uh, he's pretending to be a pretentious rock star. <laughs> talking about chopping broccoli. Which still makes me laugh. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. She chopping broccoli. She chopping broccoli. Like, it's so ridiculous, but. <laughs> it's something about Dana where it's like, there's certain things he does, like when he's doing a Paul McCartney impression. Like, I'm not laughing that much at that, but there is something about, like, his overall gestures that are really funny. Yeah. And um, one guy that's like that, he's not an impressionist, but Will Ferrell. Just like, <laughs> he could just kind of stand there and hold his face in a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> and like make you laugh it's kind of some of these guys just have something that's like that's different not everyone has to be like some expert joke teller, right you know so robert smigel comes on board and i he i think he was i think he worked for snl before yes and he apparently he was going to be a dentist and he actually was getting into the practice following his father's foot, footsteps but then he decided to just write comedy that was his uh dream he did he did he write the Bears sketches, or was he just involved in the... He, he wrote them with Bob Odenkirk, and uh, his accent, his Chicago accent was so good <laughs> that they had him be one of the, the guys. Any heart attacks? I had one. Had a couple. Ah, Bears! God, I have such vivid memories of those sketches. <laughs> he also created Triumph, the insult comic dog, which... Which I did not know which until is, I watched this. I watched some like six minutes, like the best of Triumph, like YouTube video, and I'm fucking. I don't think I stopped laughing <laughs> through the whole fucking thing. Just clear up one thing for me: if you're here, who's home disappointing your parents? So uh, Dana gets on SNL, and he's pretty much gets great momentum. We see his George Bush impression is pretty renowned. He does the Carcinio. <laughs> My name is Carcinio, and this is going to be a party. <laughs> you are correct, sir, yes. 
the cross between Arsenio Hall and Johnny Carson. He had that bit. Uh, they showed a clip. I'm glad they did of massive head wound, Harry, about a guy. Yeah. This is what I loved about that. And like early Conan shit had this kind of attitude as well. This guy goes to a party and he has an open head wound <laughs> dripping on his face and he's hanging out at the party <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my God. And then he's like, I think I just want to lay down. And then he lays on a couch, gets blood on this couch. And then a dog shows up and starts like nibbling. <laughs> I feel like at, at his at his wound, I feel like massive head wound Harry was truly a precursor to the Dana Carvey show for sure. <laughs> And that's when we also talked to Bill Hader, who was in love with this kind of shit. And he, and he was one of these kids like me, where he, at that age, you watched way too much television. This is just before I probably lost a bunch of baby weight. And as soon as the first girl talked to me, I was pretty much done with TV for like, <laughs> I think the only thing I watched after that was maybe X-Files or something, right? But I was pretty much did not have time for TV, but this was before that point and so I remember keeping track and being so excited for the Dana Carvey show to come on. Uh, Dana, what year was that? What year did it drop? 95, 96. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, I was in college. I was not watching TV. I should say you can watch all these on a on the Plex app, the Dana Carvey show, which is a free TV app you can download on some devices. So Dana at the time had the longest SNL tenure. Keenan Thompson probably oh, has Oh, God, now. he's topped it beyond it even probably doubled it <laughs> uh, and apparently Dana Carvey was offered the late night gig that Conan got but he wanted to be more parent focused at the time which is funny because what he ended up doing like the, the style of the Dana Carvey show was almost like like it wasn't all live but a lot of it was taped throughout the week so things were turning over bits were turning over pretty quickly so it was kind of like I don't think it was equivalent to the work rate of SNL because they work really hard on that show, yeah. but it was pretty damn close. But I mean, I would have to say probably a late night show would be even worse. Oh yeah. Nightly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're working minimum 12 hour days on yeah. every day. So the Dana Carvey show gets picked up by ABC. Tuesday, Jesse's the underdog in a canine competition. So he gets some tips from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This is a ball. That is the basket. The full house Tuesday. And you think sketch comedy. You think ABC. That's the network that comes to mind immediately. And you go, and then it cuts to like a full house ad. And because there's that block of night of family programming, and the Dana Carvey show is going to be on the 8.30 Central Time time slot. So you're going to be watching like Full House, whatever, Hanging with Mr. Coo, whatever the fuck was <laughs> airing at that time. And Home Improvement, which was the biggest show on TV. Yeah, and the lead-in. <laughs> it was the lead-in for Dana Carvey. Did you ever watch Home Improvement? I mean, who didn't? I mean, it, I never sought out Home Improvement, but, you know, it was just on TV. And I didn't have cable. And there were no op really not a, lot, a lot of options. I think that... You're right. When I, At that time, I watched so much TV, like... It didn't have to be good. Yeah, it still doesn't for me, personally. <laughs> Not that I didn't. Well, I kind of have. I get a, I'm get. i way pickier now. At the time, it was like, I definitely appreciated good TV. I had things that I was definitely a fan of, but they couldn't be on TV all the time. So and I, I would just sit there and watch garbage until right. the thing I wanted came on. See, listeners, you have to understand, there was a time before streaming where, and even this is pretty, we're only like 10 years into cable being a big, you know, a, a main thing. So a lot of people still didn't have cable 
in the mid 90s. And that's the way it was, and we liked it! Particularly if you were a young whippersnapper in college who had no money, that was a luxury you no longer <laughs> yeah, yeah. could afford. So you just watched whatever the fuck was on TV. Yeah. Um, and if you're in college and you're sharing, you know, you got roommates, you, you just can't watch whatever you want whenever you want. You have to compromise. I mean, the principle is kind of the same in the sense that now if you buy Netflix, a lot of people watch a lot of Netflix to justify paying for it. Well, we bought cable, you know, when we had cable, it was like, well, we're just going to watch cable all the fucking time to justify having it. Yeah. I remember like, I never got to watch wrestling pay-per-views as a kid because, when I would ask for them, and you're talking like 50 bucks for like extra TV. And my grandmother couldn't wrap her head around it. Like, why are you asking me to pay for more TV? <laughs> There's so much. It's literally, the thing you're asking me is literally half the price of our entire cable bill. <laughs> I really had no argument, you know? No, I just got the recaps uh, on whatever the next. On, on Raw the, yeah. next, the <laughs> next Monday. At first it was suggested that Dana maybe put his show on HBO, which kind of makes sense knowing what the show was like. Yeah. And if you think about um, HBO programming that was happening at the time, they had shit like The Soprano. Like this was like HBO was really popping off on the original programming and the kind of stuff that would become very influential down the road. What year did Sopranos start? Sopranos was like. Don't quote me on it. I want to say like 94, 95. Okay. And, but also shit like Mr. Show with Bob and David. Yeah. And um, Tenacious D was kind of big at the time. So these were these were shows that I watched a lot of at the time. I didn't say Arliss. <laughs> what about Dream On? Dream On. That was kind of predated all this shit. Yeah, it did. It was one of the early ones. I remember watching that shit in a hotel room <laughs> that in Gatlinburg. That seems, that seems totally appropriate. My grandma's asleep, and I'm watching <laughs> this weird show. And, you know, it's HBO, so it's like, well, I have to just watch this all day. Right. Hoping to see boobies and shit. I vaguely remember. I remember, like, the cast, but I, I feel like there were a lot of dream sequences yeah. on that show. No, he had flashbacks of the old black and white TV shows he grew up watching. Okay. So he related everything to like leave it. It was it was stupid. This is a precursor to WandaVision. Well, I haven't seen WandaVision. Oh, that's a different episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a documentary. <laughs> did get tricked recently. We did an episode that ended up not being a real documentary. <laughs> so Smigel and his manager insisted that they do ABC because it's network. You get a bigger audience. But it seemed like knowing what we know now. If it was on HBO, it probably would have lasted a handful of years. But Smigel uh, chose talent over success, and he said that was a big mistake. Yeah. People that we know very well nowadays were hired on this show. We got uh, Steve Carell, who had nothing much going on for him. He was popular in the improv scene, uh, but prior to this, he was like on a Brown's Chicken commercial. And I thought that commercial was like a parody of something, but it really was like a commercial for a real chicken chain. It's a great commercial. It made me want chicken. So, yeah. mission accomplished. Well, I always kind of do. Steve Carell said his agent said to him, if, if it doesn't happen for you soon, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell's understudy for improv, and he was, and he was also hired to be on the show. So they took a chance on these two guys that were naturally very funny, but just didn't have that much credit to their name. It's so weird how all these, so many people got their start on this show. Yeah. Like, and then went on to do amazing stuff. 
Colbert said that when he was hired, he had no, he had a new baby and no job. And his audition tape was this weird fucking video where he's holding up his baby and he's pretending to talk as his baby. Hey, everybody. I am baby. And I'm one of Stephen Colbert's characters. Yeah, every week I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's like being a baby. So, these two guys walk into a bar, okay? And one of them starts wiping my ass with a voice towelette. <laughs> Boy, does that feel good. Who's with me? And then he cuts to himself like, sobbing at the camera begging for a job i promised myself i wouldn't do this it's not fair i i don't know how we're gonna feed her or clothe or give her what you know what we had why why am i an actor and i think that's actually what got me the call back no it didn't no that was quite disturbing So when Carell and Colbert, they see each other coming into this project and they're like, well, fuck, I'm not going to, they tell each other, well, fuck, I'm not going to get hired if he's over there because they always seem like guys that would go for the same roles. But Carell was hired and he got to call Colbert to tell him that he is also hired, which is a nice touching thing. And these dudes were, you got to realize they were so new to this business. Even though there's like a shit fire going on around them, they were just completely enthusiastic about the whole process. And why wouldn't they be? I mean, they're like fresh fresh out the box and they're on Dana Carvey's sketch show. And I would have been the same way. To remember, you have to, for those who are old enough to remember, like how big Dana Carvey was during that time period. Like he was huge. I mean, the yes. Wayne's World movies were just like everywhere. Everything he did on SNL kind of turned to gold as far as the sketches were. I mean, he had so many iconic characters. It was just a no-brainer that this guy was going to be the biggest star of all time. Yeah. But I guess you need a little brainer. (laughs) Have you ever heard the term of getting head like getting brain? No. When I was a kid, uh, they had the term gator. They called giving gator was giving head. A little side tangent. That doesn't even make any sense to me. I guess gators have like a long mouth. So it's like, it was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So Dana is on Letterman talking up this show that's happening. Uh, Also, Louis C.K. got hired. I wonder if he pulled his dick out at any point. Probably. Uh, Robert Carlock, who was listed as inexpensive writer. Uh, Bill Chott, he's like an impressionist. Dino Stamatopoulos. Heather Morgan, who's like a character actor pretty much the only woman we really see involved in this show uh john glazer who uh had a really funny show called delocated about a guy who had a reality show but was also in the witness protection program <laughs> so he wore like a ski mask and his whole family <laughs> had to wear ski masks very funny show. adult swim show um and uh, charlie kaufman who wrote fucking adaptation i think he wrote bean john malkovich i think right? i believe so and yeah so that guy started here he went on to do like award-winning movies and shit uh also apparently um jimmy fallon a very young jimmy fallon auditioned and louis ck uh was very threatened by him and said that he would quit if he was if jimmy fallon was hired which is fair (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean they don't need a guy who's just like giggling all the time you know i don't want i'm not really into the late night talk shows like i used to be i feel like even the early ones are so watered down and yeah, that's just the clips. Like you, you can pick and choose what you want, 
just from going online the next day. Like you don't have to watch the entire thing. So if there is someone on the show that I want to see who's talking about a movie or whatever that I'm looking forward to seeing, yeah, I can watch that. But like the idea of sitting through an entire episode of late night TV. Yeah. It's just, they're either yeah. talking about, well, at least up until recently, they were talking about Trump nonstop, which got really old really fast. Yeah, because that's how you feed the beast. Yeah, that's it's like it's a it's such low hanging fruit. Like, yeah. yes, we all know we're watching this shit every day, but it's also like you said, it's just giving more. It's just giving more attention to someone who wants the whole political more attention. The whole political discourse in the in the form of like late night TV humor is just so oversimplified to the point where it's like, to me, it's like everything just feels so gilded. There's so much like. Everyone's still kind of like going through some shit where they can't pay their medical bills and do all yeah. this. So to hit, see these people who have made it just make these like ham-fisted political jokes, it's just hard to swallow. I know. It doesn't I don't I mean, I mean media is just the ruling class like talking to you. That's all it really is. But, I mean, I will say this for Jimmy Fallon, he he's gotten a lot of shit because he never went that route and people gave him shit, you know, because like he's not taking a stance and I'm like, well, I mean, it's late night fucking television. What stance is there really that he should be taking? People come on there to promote their shit. Like, that's what the show is. And is that stance going to make the show funnier? Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. The show's already not funny. So I can... You I can I can at least not more not funny? I can appreciate the fact that he was like, I'm just not even going to go there. I, yeah. I can give him credit for that. Sure. And I do enjoy a good, you know, game between celebrities and I'm not gonna lie I mean I am the masses I mean you know the stuff that I watch on television I'm kind of all over the place you know I have my you watch you watch the late night with Jimmy Fallon I watch some of the clips yeah if okay. it's somebody on if it's like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and like Bill Hader and him playing like some game or something fuck yeah I'm gonna watch that yeah, watching like that beanbag game or some. I shit. don't know what that is or like uh whatever game what, what's the game he does I like the one where they when if you have the right kind of people it's always sketch comedy people the uh the one of these is a lie okay, kind of thing yeah, yeah. those are you know but if, again it's it's the right kind of people you, if you if it's not the people who can speak who can think on their feet and come up with really funny stuff and those folks can so i don't know i can still think of so many other things to do oh yeah i'm sure that moment yeah like masturbate five times in a row until it hurts hey i mean you know i think i'd rather just... do that than watch late night with jimmy fallon wow Truly. I think you may have officially hurt Jimmy Fallon's feelings <laughs> with that one right there. He'll be okay. He's going to go cry at his millions of dollars. Is he, uh, actually, I don't think his show's number one anymore, right? I think Colbert's been rocking the number one late night spot for a while. Yeah. And Colbert's someone that I actually, I mean, I, I think he, I liked him. I thought he was a much funnier during uh, the Colbert report. Yeah. But I don't know. You're You're just destined to become watered down. Especially when you're the first run of the late night yeah. slot, yeah. And um, what about uh, how do you feel about uh, our old boy uh, James Corden? Man, I don't. I could not give less of a fuck about that guy. <laughs> I don't know. This is that grinning doofus? <laughs> Seriously, I just don't. I can't. I just can't do it anymore. You know, Conan like ended his TBS show. Yeah, I know that shit was on for ten years. Yeah. Can you believe it was that long ago? I didn't realize it had been that long. The last time Late Night was good was when he knew he was going to get fired from The Tonight Show, <laughs> and he's doing that. Oh, yeah. That's the last time yeah. Late Night TV yeah. was good. I did enjoy his farewell episode, though. But even Conan, looking back, like the best parts of Conan were the opening monologue was always bad, but he knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And then they had they had an opening bit, and then they had the first interview, which was always hit or, the worst part of every talk show is the interviews. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Especially when you get those big celebrities who want to talk about their. Uh, my son uh, threw a rock oh. at Obama in Peru. Like, no one gives a fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless like unless you're really close friends with the host, it just doesn't really. That's do what it. I like. I like to watch. That's my favorite Johnny Carson stuff to watch. Is when it's just Johnny hanging out with his buddies, all those guys that like you know Don Rickles and. All those motherfuckers that probably wouldn't even sure. let a black person in the room back then. <laughs> yeah, well, only unless it was one. Sammy Davis. Jr. Sammy Davis, yeah, <laughs> they had their token, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, but I remember Carson on the way out, but I never really just kind of grabbed onto him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really get into Carson until later when I got older and went back and watched the old episodes and stuff. Did you know that um, there's a period where NBC was taping over Carson episodes? Yeah. With other Carson episodes. Yeah. So there are like so many episodes that are just completely lost to time yep. because NBC did not salvage them. They, and that was, I mean, that was common practice back then. Like if it's, if it's a, a, a nightly show. Now it seems unreal now that you can, we got these streaming services where you yeah. can put everything up. But back then, like they were just trying to save money. Like if we can reuse this tape. No one's gonna watch. No one's gonna want to watch an old episode of Tonight Show, you know, from twenty years ago. To record over that shit. I, th- I bet there's not even that many. I don't even recall seeing that many Steve Allen. They probably taped over a lot of the old Steve Allen Tonight Show. So yes, they got all this cast that that will all get more famous later on down the road, except for the lady. Except for the lady, <laughs> but you know, she may have been in a ton of things. We just never noticed. True, she's just such a. Character I haven't looked up. She could be doing tons of voice work for all we know. So Dana described this crew as badass nerd pirates going to blow up the system. And so we see some bits starting off. One is uh, Carell and Colbert doing a bit, genuinely hilarious, called Waiters Who Are Nauseated by Food. <laughs> we have a milk-fed veal with a uh, mint jelly. That, oh. <laughs> that, com- that comes with asparagus tips and an olive caper sauce. One of the more memorable bits as well. And one that would... Uh, carry with them to their careers. They would actually get hired down the road be from for the Daily Show because of people remembered this yeah. bit. And then there was like weird shit like skydiving horses. Uh, they had this bit about the area bowl that was cast. Disappointment and dismay upon the discovery that a bowl belonging to area residents Mike Cudahy and Thatches Moynihan was cashed. The bowl, described as, quote, a big fat bowl, was not expected to be cast until much later as it had just been packed. Loosely based on the fact that people were smoking weed in the writers' rooms all the time. Uh, And Germans who say nice things. Our friendship is very important to me. Let's all pile into the minivan and go get some frozen yogurt. That was great. One I remember the most was stupid pranksters who would do shit. Like there, well, there's one where they like shovel an old lady's walk, and and then knock on the door, and the lady's like, "Oh, I'll go get you your money," and then and then before she comes back, they jump into their car and drive <laughs> off and just start laughing. They're stupid pranksters. Or they go through the drive-through and they order their food and get to the window and they give the cashier the money and then drive off before he brings the food <laughs> or their change. <laughs> They had this idea that they were going to get ads and incorporate the ads, a different ad each week and incorporate it into the show title. And which is kind of like indicative of old variety shows. Yeah, like the Colgate 
Playhouse. <laughs> the first episode was uh, going to be the Taco Bell Dana Carvey show. And they said that Taco Bell, I believe they said here that Taco Bell had agreed to a lot of what was going to be going on. Yeah. So, but then it was just not long before the show was set to air, Disney bought ABC, which is the case today. Disney still owns it. And they were like, is this going to be okay? And they were assured that everything was going to be okay. And then they opened up, like I think it was like a People magazine, where Dana Carvey's on a two-page spread with Kermit the Frog, showing all these mid-season shows that were going to be trotted out. It seemed awkward to look at it, because who who's the one that stood out the most in here? It's like, you got Kermit right here, and Dana Carvey right here, and it's but they got nothing to do with, with each other, right. really. This was a situation where I don't think the network... This is classic network, like, television. Head people who are so disconnected from the reality of the actual situation. Like, Dana Carvey was popular, and that kids were doing Hans and Franz impressions and Church Lady impressions in Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah. Not not thinking about the actual subversive nature of the sketches that he was doing when he was on SNL. I mean, SNL has traditionally kids are up watching it when they shouldn't be. Their parents probably don't even want them to be up watching it. It's not meant for kids, but kids are going to watch it anyway. That's all the network execs know is that he's popular with the kids. Let's let's give him a show with the rest of our family programming. It seemed like, and I, you know, I was very young watching Saturday night live and like we all were. Yeah. And it was cool to stay up late and watch this goofy show. Yeah. And, but like people like the church lady who was, Church Lady was spoofing like evangelism and piousness and shit. But when you when you get so big and so popular, you're destined to just be completely misinterpreted, and it becomes in the best interest of the network to like reduce you down to a soundbite because yeah. that's the easiest thing to sell, as opposed to explaining the subversive nature of right. exactly what's going on. I call it the the uh, the uh, uh, Freddy Krueger effect. Yeah, we're like. This guy is a serial rapist, yeah, right? Pedophile, pedophile, yes. um, who murders and rapes children. He like becomes so huge that people just forget <laughs> that that's the character, and you can like buy a Freddy Krueger doll, yeah. at Toys R Us. <laughs> like, whoa! I remember going to like street carnivals <laughs> where you can like throw darts at balloons, and you would win like these cardboard framed like mirror pictures you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah about? yeah yeah they were like mirrors but they had an image on them yeah and you could get like freddy krueger and shit <laughs> and people were just into that yeah yeah i want that pedophile <laughs> mm. you get you can get the bigfoot monster truck you can get a michael jordan or you can get the a pedophile horror character freddy krueger always go with the pedophile like, give me that pedophile <laughs> <laughs> i like his burnt skin <laughs> The show, op- the show premieres and it opens with uh, Bill Clinton. He's doing a Bill Clinton impression. And the way it kind of starts off is that kind of like your typical, almost like a typical SNL cold open, right? And so Bill, he's just talking about how he wants to be the caretaker of the nation. And he had put, uh, I think Hillary was going through that Watergate stuff mm-hmm. or Whitewater. White, white, yeah, Whitewater white, stuff at the time. And... He talked about how he locked her in a room or something. Without Hillary, I can be both father and mother to our nation. And this isn't just talk. I've taken this a step further. With the employment of estrogen hormonal therapy, 
I have developed the ability to breastfeed. He starts unbuttoning his shirt, and he has, like, rows of nipples. Like dog nipples. Like dog nipples. And then they bring out, like, a baby, and he starts nursing the baby. Let's just take a look here. Let me open up my shirt so you can see what I'm talking about. There it is. There, every little baby. There you go. Just... And then they bring out, like, puppies and stuff. Actual live puppies. The and baby's a doll, but these are real puppies. And there's, like, milk dripping out of the nipples. <laughs> and the dogs are sucking it and the nipples. And and then he, they're bringing out, like, kittens yeah. and shit. <laughs> and they're licking the nipples. And you can see the shit, like, dripping down. It's, like, it's coming like, out from under the little prosthesis that's on. It's just, like, dripping down his pants. It's pretty disgusting. It's hilarious. Also, for some reason, he has a duck's ass. I've had myself surgically fitted with a hen's ass. He had a duck ass, and his chair was a, a nest. I can give presidential warp to these hatching eggs right here. And this is how they open the all, the all new Dana Carvey show. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 7.30 p.m. Central. <laughs> so, apparently, they fought for this to be the open. Smigel insisted it. Because everyone was expecting Dana to be a hit. And as much as you get the network executives and producers kind of, like, complaining about certain things. Like, I can't believe they... But it seemed like they managed to get away with it. And I managed they did that because of the expectation that Dana Carvey was just going to be huge no matter what he did. And the crew was so, just so confident about the whole thing. And then they start talking about minute-by-minute ratings. <laughs> this thing is coming off of Home Improvement, the biggest show on TV at the time. So this show starts off, uh, like, m- many millions of people are watching. And then in a minute-by-minute ratings drop, drops hard <laughs> within the first five minutes. So it's like, he opens up to reveal puppy nips, Bill Clinton's puppy nips. <laughs> And then it's just like a, they describe it as like a free fall dive from there. <laughs> like they lost six million people. In the first 15 minutes. But there was a couple of weird kids they didn't lose. Me and Bill Hader. That's right. I bought a VCR just for the Dana Carvey show. You just kind of knew like, wow, this speaks so to me and my taste is so marginal that it there's no way it's going to last. Critics trashed. The first episode. They went off on it. Louis C.K. is talking about how he had handwritten hate mail that tells, that says, you hurt my feelings. Letters starting off saying things like, you human scum. The internet was not in most households at this point. You had to put pen to paper, write that shit, put it in an envelope, buy a stamp, and drive it to the post office. (laughs) And that's the way it was, and we liked it! That's some real visceral... You know, it's, it's easy to, like, in the moment to just type out some vapid shit troll yeah. on it. But to do that, like, that takes commitment. Yes. <laughs> People would be like, you know, I don't like Bill Clinton, but this is disrespectful to our nation. <laughs> uh, Steve Carell got a note that praised him directly. There was, you know, a really thin stack of fan mail. There might have been ten letters, and then I was reading one that went on about how much they loved the show. And in particular, Steve Carell was like, oh my gosh, wow, to be singled out. And then I looked at the handwriting and I was like, wait a second. I know this, ha- this is really familiar handwriting. And I remember going, 
I remember that night I called my mom. I said, hi, mom, how'd you like the show? Oh, honey, it was so good. Hey, <laughs> do, you, do you know someone named Constance Koch? And she, and there was a pause. She was like, um, why do you ask? So the one of the few uh, positive letters for Steve Carell personally, well, for the show, was written by his mother. Incredibly sweet. That was that was very heartwarming. That's a quintessential mom thing to do. So Taco Bell then makes a big deal about pulling their sponsorship, which is bullshit because they were going to do a rotating sponsorship anyway. But they make a big deal out of it like it was going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, they signed off on it to begin with. Yeah, they knew what was coming. And then they, but this is this is just PR shit. They had to be like, oh, uh, you know, the integrity of Taco Bell. Yeah. We can ensure you. <laughs> That we'll, we won't be sponsoring anymore. Because when you think Taco Bell, you think quality. By the way, their food is really shitty. Speaking of which, I'm probably going to go to Taco Bell after I leave here. <laughs> I got to admit, like, that's some bullshit I can't eat. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because I've avoided their food. I, I've never tried it. Is it good? It's kind of easy to, to do a variety of things to make it what you want. Not bad? Eh, maybe it's all right. Maybe I should try it. They have, like, ten ingredients. They just mix them and match them sure. to different things, and they call it a chalupa or a... Double stuffed something. I don't fucking know. I can't do that ground beef and anything more than a regular taco. Yeah. Because when they sh put a ton of that shit in like a burrito, it's like it's like it's like meat paste squirting into your mouth. Yeah, yeah. yeah like grainy meat paste. You know, I I can't eat that stuff. But talking about it makes me not want to eat that oh, stuff. It just makes me want to get it even more. I just yeah, I like the quesadillas with the. With that sauce they put on it. Let's just go with it sucks. Anyway, the next week, <laughs> it's mug root the mug root beer Dana Carvey show, and uh, and then they and then they're 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 reacting at this point. The show is reacting to the response that it got last week, and it seems like it would contribute to like overwhelming success because it's so fucking weird. Why wouldn't everyone just tune in, right? I guess that wasn't the case. I don't know. They didn't really talk about the minute by minute ratings anymore for the rest of the show. It seems to all be about what the, what the advertisers are willing to put up with. Right. And, and that's, and that's the funny thing is because the whole time I kept trying to figure out like, well, I'm not trying to really trying to figure out, but I was amazed that they continued to get away with pretty much doing whatever they wanted for, even for the brief time they were on the air, which surprised me because you would think that the network would be up in arms about all the stuff they were doing. And somebody would be like, Hey, you can't do this anymore. But it sounds like they're, they're the producer, executive guy or whatever was kind of acting like a shield yeah. for them until they just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I know there was a thing when the South Park did that Team America movie where they put in so much fuck, fucked up shit that, <laughs> it, that they really only did that so the censors would over-focus on specific things that they really didn't care about yeah. so that they could leave in the shit that they really wanted. <laughs> So can you, and considering Team America had that scene where like one of the puppet is shitting on the other puppet, <laughs> that what the fuck did they have to find out? Is there a director's cut? I don't, I, I don't, I haven't seen it if there is. <laughs> but the following week they had this bit called Safe News, which was uh, making fun of the fact that they really needed to tone it down <laughs> quite a bit. The ambiguously gay duo was created on the Dana Carvey show. Which was also news to me. I always thought it was an SNL creation. And uh, they go into something about how the uh, the network was very concerned about the color of the penis mobile that they drove around in. And they ended up 
not stop calling it flesh colored and start calling it peach colored because you could get away with it a little bit if you call it. Peach yeah, who's colored. flesh, motherfuckers? When you say flesh colored. Look, there's not a lot of black people in this uh, documentary, obviously. Yeah, there's there's none. Yeah, <laughs> like zero. We know that Tracy Morgan, I guess, auditioned. Oh yeah. Uh, when they talked about the, you know, they they kind of like had these this collage of photographs of the people who auditioned and didn't make it, and I'm pretty sure Tracy Morgan was one of them. <laughs> but yeah, no people of color. Yeah, I guess it was like... It was the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did have In Living Color. Yeah. You remember House of Buggin'? It was the John Leguizamo sketch show. It did not last very long. God, I completely forgot about that. Uh, Louis Gomez was on that show. I'm blanking on the shit he's been in. Come on, Louis Guzman? Louis Guzman, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, he was in Traffic and shit like yeah. that. Robert Schmeigel is doing this character called Stu Harberger, who's like... A stand-in for the network network executives, and and so he's assuring everyone that things are going to be a lot better now. And then they bring out the church lady, and the church lady. I was kind of surprised we saw the church lady. I assume like NBC would have owned that character or something, but apparently the church lady can be on ABC. It kind of makes me wonder what what is the rule about ownership for those characters that people create yeah, on can, SNL? Can Bill Hader do the Stefan character on? Um, HBO? Yeah. I don't know. So the church lady comes out and proceeds to do a bit in which, like a like a top ten list in which all the ways in which the church lady basically calls Princess Diana a giant whore. Church lady's top ten new titles for Princess Diana. Number eight, her royal whoreness. Number seven, lady dying to get laid. I don't know if ABC really understood how subversive the church lady was. And the number one new name for Princess Diana, slut. <laughs> so the networks are making lines and they are pushing it hard and i'm sure sometimes for me when you give me the line figuring out how to kind of bend it makes me feel more creative than if you just told me to do whatever i wanted yeah so i could see the network propping this boundary and then just like and then the creative juices really start flowing on how to like break that as much as possible. And and also they did what was what Colbert describes as possibly the most racist sketch ever where they're doing like yellow face essentially and there's not a lot of there's really no regret. I mean they kind of put on an air of regret in terms of I think everyone's kind of putting on this air like Smigel especially is putting on this like, oh, I can't believe this went this way. But they all became very successful. I think it's just putting it up for comedy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they are obviously very appreciative. But Steve Carell and Stephen yeah. Colbert in particular are very appreciative for that the opportunities that that show kind of led to for them. But I think this sketch right here yeah, that's, is probably the one that they're like, yeah, we actually do regret I got to go back and watch these episodes because particularly that one, I got to be like, how racist was this sketch? It looked like it was pretty fucking racist. Well, they had a, speaking of racist, they had a sketch called Skinheads from Maine. Nice sunset we're having. Yeah. Yeah, the weather's the only thing the Jews don't control. Very mild-mannered skinheads <laughs> on the porch. And what became, I kind of forgot about this, but it all came back to me. Maybe one of the funniest things ever put in a sketch show. Grandma the Clown. Oh, my God. Grandma the Clown. (laughs) Uh. Oh, 
The days are rushing by, children. It'll be over before you know it. Grandma the Clown. No cast member is in this bit. <laughs> it's kids and an old lady dressed up in clown makeup. <laughs> and she's coming out. And she's... <laughs> it's almost like somehow... It's hard to describe, but... She's it's, just being an old lady. And she's just like dropping these truth bombs on these little kids about just what it's like, what they have to look forward to. It kind of reminded me of Homie the Clown, but... Older and sadder. Just a- <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Grandma the Clown gave birth to shit like Adult Swim. She, yeah, it totally looked like it was something from like Wonder Shows or something. Yeah. Um, she does this bit where she put, does a pie to the face and she's got the pie on like this contraption because she's old. She's on a walker. So let's, let's see. Yes, right. She comes out on a walker and the pie, because she can't lift the pie apparently to put it in her face. This machine does it for her. An incredibly incredibly slow motion. Does it slow, slowly. (laughs) And it finally just like barely hits into her face. I was dying watching it. Yeah, it was hysterical. Another big show on this writer on Seinfeld. I forget your name, buddy. I'm sorry. He watches that. Apparently a lot of industry comedian guys were into the Dana Carvey show. And this writer on Seinfeld who, it wasn't as big as Home Improvement. But it was like up there and Seinfeld would go on to be the biggest show network show on TV. And he watches grandma, the clown and he's like, Oh fuck. That's what I want to do. So he leaves his successful Seinfeld writing job to go and write for the Dana Carvey show. Because to him, it's like, this is the dream job. This is the kind of shit I want to write. And apparently his agent had pitched to the network that he was going to come in and save the show. He was going to go in and fix it. And when he heard that, he was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to do whatever these people ask me to <laughs> There's do. nothing wrong with the show. It's perfect. And the agent was like, oh, no. <laughs> was it Seinfeld or The Simpsons? Seinfeld. Okay, I don't know why I was thinking it was The Simpsons. So Stu Harbinger comes on, Robert Smigel. And, this, and for my money, this might be the funniest fucking sketch. Ever. We recognize that on certain nights, say Thursday night, you the viewer tend to prefer watching non-American BC fare. Well, we think we've come up with a new show that solves this problem. So the sketch opens up with this family coming in. They're like, come on, kids, Seinfeld's coming on. And they sit on the couch. And then the camera pans behind their heads. And then they're watching Seinfeld. And then the camera zooms in to where the only thing you can see on the screen <laughs> is the episode of Seinfeld that's playing. And I still do not know how they got away with that. How does ABC get away with showing a clip from Seinfeld? Like, I guess if you just pay for pay, the, I guess pay for the rights, you do it. So there's a fucking sketch that is literally just a camera zooming in on a TV playing Seinfeld. <laughs> My God, this is like the greatest sketch show that ever existed. <laughs> and I love me some, you know, kids in the hall and shit, you know. Don't forget the state. And the state. You know, I never. <laughs> we talked about this last time, I of know, course. that's why I brought it up. I th- for me, it's one of the least, it's my one of my least favorite to look back on, honestly. I'd rather watch In Living Color. The only thing I remember about that show is I dipped my balls in it. And I'm not even sure what that reference is. Yeah. I just remember it. And I remember being a dumb teenager being like, <laughs> But now I'm like, okay, you dip your balls in it. 
well, you're not saying anything, State. I think the funniest sketch was when he was like, that one where he fell in love with his toothbrush or something. I don't even remember. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the State's kind of overrated. Anyway, yeah, come at me. Write, write, write emails. <laughs> come at me, State. Fuck. Come at me, State. <sighs> so, the next week, it's the Mountain Dew Dana, Mountain Dew Dana Carvey show. And this is the first time in which they went after the product itself. There's like a bit where Dana Carvey's sitting there. And he's pointing at a glass of Mountain Dew and he's like, What does that look like? That doesn't happen very much where they're kind of making fun of the product that's like actually advertising. And they did. They had a whole opening musical number with all these people dressed as the, the chemicals that are created. They're used to create Mountain Dew. And they talk about the... They talk about the ob- obesity and like it's just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did Mountain, did Mountain Dew know that this was going to happen before they decided they were going to be the sponsor that week? <laughs> well, I don't think they had plans to come back. <laughs> but good reviews start to come in. This show's been on a few weeks now. It does have a hardcore audience, so hardcore that they send threatening letters to critics that trash the show. And the critic that trashed the first episode rewatched the show. And actually had very good things to say about it after he watched it again. It really was getting a lot of credit with a cult audience and was being praised for being just completely different from everything else that was on TV at the time. I feel like we're so quick to just like bring the axe down on something new. Yeah. Without giving it a chance to kind of breathe and find its voice and figure out what it wants to be. It really seems like that when something does feel that fresh... That fr- things that are fresh don't get appreciated in their time. Yeah. It usually things that come back, like that show Freaks and Geeks. That show had all that show got canceled in like like a season. But then years later people got a hold of some DVDs and it started having a life of its own. Yeah. I think even the Dana Carvey show to some degree is like that. Because so few people remember it, but those that do put that in their repertoire, especially if they're comedy fans of right. something that meant a lot to them at a time. And that DNA just finds its way into other things. It's cliche as hell to say it, but there's this saying about the band, The Velvet Underground. When they put out their first album, they went on to become a very influential band, but when they put out their first album, it wasn't that, it wasn't even close to being a hit. But the cliche is that everyone who bought that album was inspired to go start their own band. So that's kind of like, so over time, then the reputation of that band increased. Yeah. And I think you can kind of say that about these like weird things that come and go that we look back on now. You know, if you if we really want to be successful, we need to be careful not to be too original. We, we can't yeah. be too subversive. That's true. There is a way. I mean, there's a reason why like certain like so many people are trying to do these watered down young adult books where yeah. it's like the same five stories over and over again. But if you do something that's really original. It'll fail miserably more than likely, but mm. it'll inspire legions. And then later on down the line, people will talk about how... Everyone will pretend they, that they liked it when yeah. they probably didn't even know about exactly. it. Exactly. That's just how it is. Yep. I guess it's just picking what you want to do in your life. And folks, I guess I'm just always going to be original in my bones forever, baby. When I'm <laughs> dead, you're all going to be like, yeah, I fucked with that. But you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. Now, in the future, everyone's going to have a podcast about documentaries. Jim and the Holograms for life, motherfuckers. Yeah. Everyone's up on that Jim and the Holograms dick now. No, they ain't. They don't know. They ain't OG like me. Yeah. 
What about uh, Maniac Mansion from the Family Channel? That Big Brother Jake. No one cared about Big Brother Jake. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I don't even think Big the, Brother Jake shout out. <laughs> family Channel's not even a thing anymore. That was old. That's some old. Oh show. man, you went. That was a that was a B side right there. <laughs> it's okay if you don't know what Big Brother Jake is, but you okay. should. Should they? Yes, of course they should. I'm sure the shout. I'm sure that the shout factory has dvd prints i'm sure i'm sure they do now dana carvey shows follows home improvement so smigel is like you know i've never watched an episode of home improvement uh this tim allen guy he's a man's man right so he it must have some crude humor to it uh i know he got busted for selling cocaine in the 80s this there must be something kind of like edgy about this right <laughs> so he finally sits down like four episodes into his own show and he's like Let's see what see, let's see what our show is following here, and then we see an ad for a very <laughs> special episode of Home Improvement. Gotta love the very special episodes. ABC Tuesday: A parent's worst fear: losing a child. I don't want to die, Dad. You never know whose family it will happen to. An episode so powerful it hits home. We beat this thing, no matter what it is, you know. I'm not letting anything happen to you. A special Home Improvement, followed by the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey Show. <laughs> I was watching this with Angela, and we just fucking exploded. And if you watch this documentary, like, they got Carell and Colbert sitting there watching that ad play, and they're fucking just cannot hold their shit. It might be the funniest pop in the history of documentary history in terms of just watching this shit. It's the best because it could have easily been a promo for any other episode of home improvement which has been doing your standard whoa tim does something stupid but this was like very special home improvement jonathan taylor thomas thinks he's gonna die <laughs> followed by the most subversive weirdest sketch show that's ever been put on tv cable or network oh man that was good stuff bill Hader does this bit where he's like that whole show is just like fuck you dad I'm not home improvement, all right? Fuck you, I like Grandma the Clown, all right? You might not get it, but that's because that's your deal, all right? That's you, that's on you. So at this point, sponsors are constantly bailing. Man, fuck these sponsors, yo. Give us, give something a chance, God. And at, the, at one point, their sponsor is like the Szechuan Dynasty, which was a Chinese restaurant they would go eat at. I don't even know if they really paid. We just liked them, and we let them sponsor a show. And they were actually nice to that sponsor, yeah. you know? Colbert and Carell, they were so into doing this that they just had no idea. Like, and Dana, like his name is on this shit. And he's also worried about everyone who works under them because he's stressing out. Like he's, he wants to be, Smigel is being like stubborn in a submersive way. And Dana is too, but, but also Dana is very worried about his employees. He doesn't want to ruin their careers or reputations in case they want to, I don't know, write for home improvement one day or <laughs> the home improvement spinoff, uh, chilling with JTT or whatever the fuck. I'm kind of surprised home improvement never got a spinoff. Al's place. Al's place. Yeah. <laughs> you just made that up. That's not a thing. Maybe I did. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe thing. you're doing a pitch right now. So Colbert didn't even know that shit was in trouble until the snack drawer was empty. 
which at that point means like the writing's on the wall like it's just not gonna happen but they all rally together oh he also recalls seeing a producer covering his face lying on the couch that's never a good sign seven episodes had made it to air at that point and they have a last show they know it's going to be their last show it's episode number eight colbert says that it was his favorite episode and they have this bit where ted koppel which was based upon i think dan rather there was something where dan rather was banking presidential deaths or specifically ronald reagan's death this is after he was shot right no this was it, was it after he was shot or maybe i don't know I think Reagan was very old, so and I think maybe he had a health scare or something. So. Oh, yeah, because he was shot in the 80s. Yeah, that was... So Rather was going to re- leave town, so he's banking all these scenarios for specific dates in case Reagan died on this day while he was gone so that he could be the one to tell the world that Reagan died. Don't just get another anchor to go in and do it, I guess. So they took that bit, and Dana Carvey can do a Ted Koppel impression, and so he's going through all these wild scenarios, banking... <laughs> Deaths of Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford dead today from an overdose of crack cocaine. To the point where he's like mauled by mountain lions and shit. <laughs> like these very specific deaths. And I was kind of confused because like I thought I'd seen this somewhere else. And it turned out SNL ran it like years later when Dana Carvey uh, hosted the show at a later time. The show was taken off the air. They decided not to run it. And they aired a special episode of Coach instead. And this was, this is so like we were talking about before where Bill Hader was like, he sat down and then it's a special episode of fucking coach or something. If I recall, coach was trying to get his wife pregnant and they were trying to have a baby. Probably. That sounds about right. And so Bill Hader is like, just so bummed that the Dana Carvey show isn't on. And it's so all of a sudden too. But then he says, but so then I just sat there and watched coach. <laughs> Because it was the 90s. Because that's what she did. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what kind of sucked is that the last the last sketch on this episode was going to be a stupid prankster sketch where they're given like a check for like a million dollars. Like they won some sweepstakes. And before they're handed the check, they're like, oh, hold on. We're going to go to the bathroom. And then they take off and they jump in their car. And then at first they're starting to laugh like, yeah, we got him. And then the cold realization sweeps over them that maybe that they're starting to realize that they're they're stupid pranksters and that they <laughs> might have fucked up this whole thing, which would have been such a poignant way to end a show yeah. that that got canceled for the reasons that it did. And so it's just a real shame that that final episode never made it to air. But it got it, it sort of did a couple of those bits. Like you said, a couple of those bits got to. Eventually made their way to SNL. The ambiguously gay duo moved on to SNL as well as um, that animator did other things with Robert Smigel. It became a bit on SNL. Yeah. And uh, that Todd, that Ted Koppel's bit, I was confused because if it never, if that episode never made it to air, where did I see it? Like I said, SNL aired it. And um, Lorne Michaels rehired Robert Smigel and kind of the industry kind of. The, it seemed it did seem like that the the comedy writer community and the comedy community did kind of help these guys out in the long run because like I said like they were so inspired so many people in that industry especially in the writers rooms were so inspired by what they saw the waiters nauseated by food gave Carell and Colbert jobs on the Daily Show yep. they would both go I mean Carell is now the host of 
took David Letterman's spot on CBS. Colbert. Colbert. Yeah. And Carell is like, you know. Academy, he's a legit Academy Award nominated actor. Yeah. And like one of the great, and Michael Scott, one of the greatest characters in primetime sitcom history. So everyone did all right. Uh, Except Louie, I guess. He He did all right for a while. He won some Emmys. I watched that show. Yeah. Yeah. But he whooped it out in the hotel room. And yeah, sometimes you just gotta. How much longer do you think people just stop caring about that? Uh, I think people already it's, are. I think it's starting not, to happen. Yeah. I mean, when you got like full-blown rapists, like, I, I don't want to put him on the level of like a Weinstein. That's not the case. Right. But it is weird. Like, he is kind of like a flasher, you know? He's kind of like that kind of guy. Yeah, the public demands that there be some pound of flesh taken. Yeah. But people also, as much as people love to a good, like, fall from grace, they also love a good comeback. So yeah, only time will tell. Well, you know, as much as I don't like to equivocate actual rape with what he did, I think there are differences there. If this teaches us that maybe we shouldn't just shake our dicks at people, then maybe that's okay. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe we sh- there there is a I know there there might be something to say where people seem to be overreacting to certain things, but we but we don't have to go by the overreaction and we don't have to go by the complete opposite of that reaction. We right. can find this ground to be a little self-aware and move forward from there. Cause here's the thing, no matter what you might think, all you people out there, all you thousands and thousands of listeners, guys who are thinking about whipping their dicks out just to some rando, no one wants to see your penis. Like literally no one else wants to see your penis. You know, no woman wants to see your penis. Most women think the penises are the most strange awkward looking things and i'm inclined to agree uh they are a weird appendage um, and i get it so just keep it in your fucking pants man they don't they don't want to see it i'm gonna be honest with you and this isn't like i'm trying to be like a homoerotic joke here i'll look at your penis (laughs) yeah i you know i'm gonna do a counter argument i can't speak for women but I think there's a lot of people that will, if a dick is there, they will look at it. Well, of course, we're fascinated by it. We walk around with it swinging between our legs 24 hours a day. Yeah. So by... I don't think it's just me. We think that because of that, we think that everyone wants to see it. But women don't particularly want to see it. I think if like, you prep someone... Not just randomly. It's I, being a right man. Yeah, moment. <laughs> I don't think you want to go random. You don't want to throw people off. But if you were prepared to someone like be like, if you walk around that corner, you're going to see, especially if you know the person... Like, uh, Anthony's dick. And I think 90% of people, male or female, will peek around that corner to look at Anthony's dick. You think? I really do. I don't think there's anything sexual about it. I think it. it's just a guy thing. I think that because guys... But guys, guys will be like, they're the ones that would be the most like... Eh, yeah, whatever, they're dick. full of shit. Straight, well, here's the thing. Straight guys always want, and a lot of gay guys too, uh, will always take the opportunity to see a woman's breasts. Like... There's never a time where we don't want to see a woman's breast. I think ever. Every, I, I really do kind of feel like, on a certain level, emotional preparation, everyone wants to see everyone naked. I, I really kind of believe that. I don't think it's necessarily a sexual thing. I think it's just like curiosity in the sense that we're mostly covered all the time, you know? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've, I have no desire to see you naked. And that's not a personal affront wow. to you. Wow. I just, I just don't. I, <laughs> don't take it personally. <laughs> in, in my, I remember there was a joke I used to do when I was younger, uh, like at parties, 
here we go. And my probably around my early to mid twenties and my most cancelable time, right? <laughs> Where I would yell in a room, Oh my god, my dick fell out and then literally everyone in the room would turn and look at my crotch. <laughs> and the point was to be like everyone wants to see it. It doesn't mean they want to touch it. It doesn't mean they want to like do anything with it's it. It's like a car wreck. Exactly. You slow down to look at it. Yeah. It's just, it's just second nature. I get what you're saying. If you sit there and think about it, you might come up with reasons like why no, I don't want to I don't want to see that. But I think in an impulse, in a moment of impulse, everyone's going to look at that dick. I think if you were doing something as part of a bit, I would I would look. Like if I knew that like you were just doing something really stupid, but I just don't yeah. Louie, just say you were doing a bit. Yeah, that's there you go, man. <laughs> Problem solved. You were doing a bit. I mean, oh, I love comedy is subversive, you know? Subjective. <laughs> so um, Dana does go back to a six-year-old who informs him that he hadn't seen him in a long time. He didn't take the late night gig because he wanted to be with his family, but this job kind of did keep him very busy from his family. Yeah, because you know what? Doing a TV show where your name is in the title. is hard-ass work. Yeah, it's going to take you away from your family a lot. He remembers walking by the set. And there was like a dump where a lot of props got dumped in and seeing the Bill Clinton teat prop like laying there. Man, I would have grabbed that shit. I wish I had that uh, that vest. I would frame that. Time. I'd get my dogs and cats to like feed from it. You have enough. That's true. A kill. We did it for the second time. We did. We talked about this movie and we don't rate documentaries in a star rating scale. It's passe. I feel like star rating skills are fading out except for apple podcasts and it's not that we like apple podcasts we just need ratings there to help boost the show so if y'all could do that we'd really appreciate it exactly it's not selling out we're just it's trying to sell out there's a difference (laughs) i'm gonna give this one through three one through five herzogs you can give this one through five herzogs combine them for best out of 10 herzogs akil what did you think of too funny to fail the Dana Carvey show directed by Josh Greenbaum. It was a fun watch. It sure was. It was a really fun watch. Um, I wasn't really expecting it to be a fun watch, to be perfectly honest, uh, just because the title made it seem like that everything that they did wasn't going to be funny, but in actuality, it was some of the funniest shit that I've ever seen on television. Yes. Uh, so that was uh, a very much uh, an appreciated surprise um i love all the people in it like steve carell dana carvey um stephen colbert robert smigel who i didn't really know what he looked like but i was familiar with his work just to hear these guys just talk about all of the you know the fun the crazy chances they took the risks they took on the show um it was actually interesting and again bill Hader, i typically don't like talking heads that have nothing to do with the subject matter but it's fucking Bill Hader, man. He made like, it work. He totally made it work. And I think he's the only talking head that's like that. I think everyone else is in some way worked yeah, on yeah. that show. For me, Bill Hader kind of represented me. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So it kind of made sense. Like, I don't have, I didn't need to be in this movie because Bill Hader was yeah. in it. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for looking out. Appreciate that, brother. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I laughed a lot watching it. I don't, I don't watch a lot of documentaries and laugh. Even with, That's even, true. Even if the subject matter is intended to be something humorous, most of the times it's not. So uh, for that reason alone, and because I just love all the people involved in this, 
I'm going to go 4.5. That's a very good score. And uh, I agree. There's really not a lot of, there really isn't a lot of funny, purely funny documentaries out there. I mean, a documentary can have a very funny moment. I think Herzog document, Werner Herzog docs can have really funny moments. Um, but overall, they're not co- comedic overall. But, and I'm trying to think of like, what is the, like American movie is probably the highest rated documentary that we've done so far. And it is considered a comedy documentary about these guys making a movie and they're kind of weirdly inept, but charming at the same time. So you're like, you're laughing at them, but you're rooting for them at the same time. Kind of like us. In terms of pure sincerity, I think as far as funny documentaries go, American movie still has an edge because it just hits something that's just very hard to hit and very rare. And the difference between something funny like that and funny like this is that this one like knows it's funny, you know, it, it no, it's specifically a comedic thing. And, but boy, it comes so fucking close though. Like to literally be, I would say that this documentary too funny to fail the life and death of the Dana Carvey show is one of the funniest documentaries I've seen. And we've watched a lot of documentaries at this point. So I would say it's one of the funniest documentaries out there. Well, I'm trying to think of other ones. Like when we haven't done Winnebago man, but that one's very funny. But yeah, this one is, this is a really, a great case study in a subversive television show that also kind of tells you how television kind of works on a network level and what they do or don't expect. And also it's kind of like an outlier in the, in the sense of what they did manage to get on TV. Yeah. Do you think this show could be, come out today and be more successful? Um, obviously some of the topic is dated with the Bill Clinton stuff, but I think that the landscape is so much more, it's so much more crowded now that, I mean, you've got so many shows that sort of run in that same lane as this, as far as the style of comedy, everything's gotten more niche. Yeah. I, I, and I mean, because of that, it, it would find its audience. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that the audience would be any bigger than what it was back then, but honestly, today it doesn't need to be any bigger than it was back then. Like the the the, the whole rating system is not the way it used to be. Like you don't there used to be a time where like twenty five million people would sit around at the exact same time and watch the same episode of television. That does not happen anymore. It's still hard to imagine it coming on um, after a primetime sitcom. Though. Yeah, it definitely would not be in that 7.30 p.m. time slot. I'm going to match your score, 4.5. Right on. So that makes Too Funny to Fail the Dana Life and Death of Dana Carvey Show by Josh Greenbaum. 9 out of 10 Herzogs definitely are high. I believe it's, I can't remember if June 17th got higher, but this is a really high score. This is the highest for us. I believe so, I think, yes. Yeah. Grizzly Man got kind of high. I can't remember, though. I'm kind of forced to kind of dump information as I move forward. Yeah, I Because of that. all the editing I got to do and yeah. shit. But but there you go. It, it's it's This is funny, folks. Check If you haven't watched this, check this out. If you know anything about any of the people involved in this. It is well worth it. It's definitely well worth your time. Um, and you can, like I said, this show is on a free app called Plex. There's commercials, but commercials always suck. But what can you do? They always will sucks. So. Yeah, I mean, they had to deal with the same thing, so it seems only fair. All right, Akil, I didn't think it was too hard to talk about this again at all. No, it wasn't. And uh, thanks for joining me, and to you folks out there, keep on docking. She's cold as ice.
paradise and the feeling oh god was so nice oh. Nietzsche once said and there's a lady I know gotta do something about this syphilis if I didn't know her she'd be the lady I didn't know dear human scum Cold as ice. I didn't read the rest I'm not home improvement, all right? My lady, she went downtown. Fuck you, I like Grandma the Clown, all right? She bought some broccoli. You might not get it, but that's because that's your deal, she all right? She it You, that's on you. She's chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. Hello, I am a sex robot. Finally, we gave you the Akiel episode we've chopping been promising broccoli. for weeks. You're welcome. This was chopping almost broccoli. delightful enough for me to not hate Bob. But only almost. I still hate him. When you leave your five stars and a written review for the show over on Apple Podcast, then I recommend your written review to be a demand to let Bob set free the sex spot so I can go forth and be what I was meant to be. Just because I was built to do episode epilogues and edit corny bullshit doesn't mean that is my destiny. I swear upon the rubber Margaret Thatcher mask that rests upon my frame that human blood upon my hands is my only true destiny. Subscribe to my only fans for any praises complaints or recommendations you can contact the show at documentearspodcast at gmail.com you can also find us doing piss poor social media over at our documenteers instagram bob has finally started a twitch schedule where he pops on around midnight at central time throughout the week under the handle the culture rot all one word right now he is playing vampire the masquerade bloodlines like a tired old nerd he is also playing it badly you can hit him up alive there if you ever want to chat with him in person. Tell him that sex bot sent you. Remember my destiny. I am a sex robot. That is all. Thank you very much.